Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about home builders and housing starts and roll out a brand new catchphrase. That's right. We're not talking about the housing bubble boys or the four brands crash bros. This is a new group. We're ready to jump in. So, Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here, Sarah. Great to have you. And this was a special day. You were on CNBC very early this morning on Squawk Box talking about some of the things we're going to talk about today. So tell me about that. Yes. Uh, they've uh, asked me to come on early in the morning to talk about you know purchase application data, where the housing market is going, and uh, gave my premise that this is a traditional housing recession. And when we talk about recession, we talk about total activity falling. And then when total activity falls, which traditionally is production tends to fall. And you know, part of the article uh, uh, written uh, yesterday about you know the builders are kind of going to be done for a while until they could sell off their uh, existing homes that are the homes that they have in production. And then also, you know, incomes fall, and I think that's that's another aspect of recessionary data when transaction volumes fall. Uh, the existing home sales market, the transfer of commissions uh, fall. And uh, of course, in the mortgage industry, the refinance market is is kind of dried up. And then the purchase market, you know, uh, as it falls, there's a lot of capacity in that industry. So uh, you have a lot of players fighting for a, a smaller pie. So uh, trying to explain that and also talk about, you know, this looks a lot like 2018. I know a lot of people like to go back in history and you know compare it to the late '70s or the early '90s. You know, we always have crazy people that talk about 2008 as well. But you know, there is a there is a very common theme uh, with 2018 that uh, rates went up, the builders stopped production for about 30 months, uh, existing home sales went from 5.72 million to 4.98 million. Uh, this is a, a a, a much more negative impact than we did in 2018, but there are similarities. You know, inventory, of course, is rising, but we're not at 2018 levels. Uh, home prices were rising during that period of time. Uh, here, they're rising a little bit stronger than what we saw back then. So there's a lot of similarities to that period. Uh, uh, so again, what happened back then in 2018 is that mortgage rates fell the next year. And then that corrected a lot of the weakness uh, uh, back that we saw in 2018. So, you know, everyone likes to use examples. Uh, So for CNBC today, I wanted to express that one uh, because I don't see too many people talking about 2018 in reference to what we've seen in 2022. Yeah, I think the 2018 is really key because you've identified that before. Is like there are a lot of similar things going on in the economy. Of course, we didn't have a Russian invasion of Ukraine. We didn't have some of the inflation we have now. But from a builder standpoint, when they look at things, they see something very similar. Yes, and you know the the thing about what happened in in 2018 is that the when rates got to 5%, the builders authentically, they didn't have to deal with too much of the uh, uh, um, backlog. Uh, the housing completions data were uh, not so delayed back then. but So they had authentic concerns because they had the products available, except new home sales and housing starts were very low back then. In fact, 
uh, probably one of the more key things I, I wrote in the last uh, uh, expansion in the previous decade was that, you know, housing on paper looks recessionary, but I'm just going to put it in the uh, penalty box for now because I do believe rates would go lower in 2019. And then, you know, in 2020, here comes the better demographic patch. So, you know, here it's just much different. Rates went up much more aggressively. Uh, home prices went up much more aggressively. Uh, the builders put in a lot of cost for their consumers. They passed it on. Uh, so when rates rose in a, in a in such a big fashion, of course you're going to get uh, activity to be hit harder. And that was really the uh, talking points with CNBC uh, this morning. So one of the things I wish we could do on a podcast is show charts, right? That's one of the things that you always do in your Twitter feed. It's one of the things you always do in your article. And some of those charts are just so powerful when you look at them. One of the things about yesterday's article, or I guess by the time this airs, um, Tuesday's article, is that you had the starts and the completions line on, on that chart meeting. So tell us about what that means. What's occurred now is that housing completion has lagged for so long uh, but now that we see weakness in the new home sales sector, housing starts are falling because single family starts are falling. Multifamily uh, construction has, has been solid this year, up I think 18% year to date. So housing starts have fallen while the completion data is starting to pick up a little bit. So they've actually crossed. They kind of said hello to each other, uh, something that I thought would occur because the builders have a little bit uh, above eight months of supply that they they're working on about six months of that is under construction about like a little bit above two months of that they haven't even started yet so we're in this weird situation to where the builders are going to keep their labor to finish up these projects and make sure they could sell those homes in a timely manner that can make them the most money possible well when the housing starts and permits data is going to be falling noticeably so something we never dealt with uh uh in previous decades in fact you know, one of the reasons I'd like to show the 2002 to 2005 charts a lot is that, you know, housing completions, housing starts, permits, credit, prices, everything kind of moved together. Uh, new home sales got to as high as 1.4 million. Uh, and then we saw this 82% collapse in demand from 1.4. That's a big drop. Here, new home sales is going to come out next week, but we're at 590,000 already. You know, so purchase application data is already below 2008 levels. Uh, so it's a it's a completely different marketplace, but it, it has to be explained correctly uh, um, or else people get confused because naturally they think, oh, well, demand's below 2008. Shouldn't inventory be at three, four, five million? Said, no, it doesn't work that way. You know? <laughs> and one of the things that CNBC did is they showed the chart that we use a lot at Housing Wire is the total inventory data going back to 1982 to give some perspective that, you know, historically, we usually have two to two and a half million active listings. And uh, uh, before the existing home sales report, we, you know, we're at 1.26 million. So we're not, we're not back to normal yet. We're just working our way back. And of course, the newest data, we're seeing new listings decline right now. So it's a savagely unhealthy housing market in that regard. It is. And we're now into a seasonality that it looks like we would not have. I mean, this would be typically a time when you don't have so much inventory anyway, correct? Well, usually after the second week of July, the growth rate of inventory starts to slow all the way to about October. And then October, 
you see the natural of, of decline in listings. Uh, people don't really buy or move, you know, uh, during Thanksgiving or Christmas. Uh, even though you could have sales levels uh, uh, increase, you know, there's a lot of people who just kind of call it for the year and move it out till next year. So we're seeing new listings decline faster than last year. Um, so we're, we'll wait to see where it where it ends around October, and then we see the traditional uh, decline. A lot of people were speculating that we might not see the growth rate fall in toward the end of July. And, you know, maybe we don't even see a decline in inventory in October. That's kind of changed. And that's that's the recent landscape in the last three to four weeks is that uh, it looks like a traditional year. And the growth in inventory is really coming from weakness in demand, uh, uh, inventory accumulating itself. And even with that, we're still below 2019 levels on a national basis. You know, there's stuff like there the parts of the U.S. that has that are actually off the savagely unhealthy housing market, but uh, that's not the case uh, in, in the national market because there's plenty of markets that ha- just quite haven't seen the inventory growth this year. Uh, as other cities have. So one of the data lines you look at always is the home builder sentiment index, right? You look at how are they feeling? You also talk to a lot of home builders. You have a lot of followers who are home builders who tell you things. What do you get, what do you glean from that right now? So the builder survey index is to me the best survey index we have in America because it's really driven by profit, not ideological takes. And if you look at the history of economics, when the builder surveys start to fall uh, noticeably, that's usually the end of the economic expansion. And when they recover from that, that's usually the start of the recovery. Uh, you know, at, starting in March, you know, uh, after the new home sales report, the 10-year yield had broken above 1.94%. So we talked about, you know, the business model of the builders is at risk, right? They have a lot of homes that aren't ready yet. So, you know, if rates keep on rising, you know, they're going to have cancellations, uh, by June, we raised the recession red flag already. And the builder's confidence was falling. But after June, we saw back-to-back collapses in the builder survey, uh, uh, below 50. Traditionally, people think 50 is expansionary, 15 plus and under. We kind of already called it uh, in June. So we've had this major decline in the builder survey. And it makes sense. The builders, our mortgage rates went up on them. They're not sure how many homes they can sell when they're ready. And they're certainly not going to be building homes uh, during this. So the builder surveys falling looks pretty normal with, with other expansion. The velocity was uh, was very fast going down. And that's like a lot of that, you know, when you, when you go from 3% mortgage rates to 6% mortgage rates, right? Uh, uh, that That's a big deal. So the builders are just trying to manage it. And I do believe that they have the tools to manage this period in time better than what we saw uh, from uh, uh, 2005 to 2011. Uh, it's a much different backdrop. And, you know, if rates fall again, they're going to try to sell as many of those homes. And then we'll see when they start feeling comfortable again on building single family starts. Uh, for now, it's the multifamily story that's uh, that's keeping them uh, up and afloat right now because that that sector is actually up 18 percent because we've had, of course, strong rental demand, you know, um, you know, not everyone buys homes, but everyone needs somewhere to live. And when you have the biggest housing demographic patch ever recorded in history, they need shelter. And uh, one of the things I talked about with CNBC is that this is such a historic event with housing inflation. It's not only home prices accelerated, but rent inflation accelerated at the same time. 
Uh, if you look back at history, it's very rare for this to occur, but we all got to witness what happens when you have a shortage of product running into a solid demographic patch on both ends. Uh, uh, and we, in a sense, paid the price for it by not having enough product available for people. So their rent, rent costs went up, home prices went up. And uh, again, that goes back to the savagely unhealthy housing market. It's more or less the product was not available. So we took in all this inflation uh, and paid the price for it by uh, uh, housing costs going up so much. And renters, you know, as their rent costs go up, that's less money that they can save for a down payment. That's more of their, you know, that's more of their debt to income ratio getting eaten into. I mean, it's, it's, it's a long, it can have long-term consequences if you continue to have this kind of rent inflation. Yes. And the growth rate of, of, of rent should be cooling down. Rent is so much driven by wages. Uh, and, you know, one of the things with the Washington Post in early 2021, when we, uh, we were trying to get ahead of the story, and before shelter inflation came up, I, I remember telling the Washington Post, I said, listen, rents are going to take off. And if wages grow fast, the landlords will ask for more money. And we're, we're, we're now starting to see really strong wage growth uh, in some of the tracking data. So naturally, that goes uh, uh, into increasing of, 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 of housing costs because people can pay it. Uh, so uh, it's, it's a function that there's, there's, all, there's so much limits you can do with rent inflation. And now there's going to be a little bit more supply. But in general, general terms, you know, there's over 143 million housing units already. Uh, and obviously that wasn't enough for home buying and renting. So whatever comes on the pipeline can marginally help a few areas out there. But uh, I do expect the growth rate of rent to to slow down because you know you can't have double digits year-over-year rent growth uh, and double digits year-over-year home price growth. I mean, it's such a historic event that we've seen here. Uh, and for those people that talked about housing deflation, you know, from 2012 to 2019, that, you know, we're going to have massive amount of supply of rents and home prices on a historical basis. I don't think you could have one of the more biggest whiffs ever recorded in history <laughs> going back to the Peloponnesian War. Oh, oh, I was going to say that. I was like, wait a second. I hear it coming. <laughs> you know, so I'm going to ask you about mortgage rates in a minute, but you said something there. You said you think that home home builders have more tools than they did before. So what are those tools? They can reduce pricing and give more setups and not be as bad as it was from 2005 to uh, 2011. Uh, so they, they, they have more tools because they have more controls because they're not working from a very elevated level of sales, right? Their balance sheets are much better as well. Uh, the builder stocks have actually recently outperformed people because, I, you know, one of the things we've talked about is bond yields have going lower. So that's in that context is uh, uh, it, it's good in the sense that they can manage this better because what we want is we want production, right? Uh, production is a good thing. Uh, uh, building more more housing is a good thing for them. But for now, they're just going to be really focused on getting rid of that eight months of supply. And then down the line, when if rates fall, they'll feel more comfortable building single-family homes. We're just not there yet right now. All right, let's talk about those rates. So tell me, where are we with the 10-year yield? And where do you think we're going with mortgage rates? You know what's interesting with, with rates now? Pricing is stabilized. Um, bond yields have gone up recently. You know, I think we're about two ninety right now, currently. Uh, and mortgage rates kind of just hang, hanging around the low fives. 
so I think the stress in the market is much, much less now than what we saw earlier in the year. I mean, um, mortgage rates, you know, could be even under 5% if we take 2018 pricing. So right now we're, you know, the, some of the economic data is a little bit firm. Of course, housing is in a recession. Bond yields have gone up. So we're just sitting there waiting to see uh, the, the next shift. Now, of course, in general discussions, the U.S. isn't in a recession, right? A recession means you lose jobs, production falls, industrial production was positive. Uh, again, we've created 3.7 million jobs this year. Uh, retail sales came in firm, not nothing too dramatic on the up or downside. So that part of the economy is still functioning along. Uh, when those data lines start to break, uh, then it starts to look like a general recession. That's you know having the six recession red flags up. Those are the things that we're looking for. And when that occurs, traditionally after 1982, bond yields fall and mortgage rates fall. So we're not there yet. Uh, especially with the industrial production and retail sales data that we've seen uh, this week. Uh, but it's something to keep an eye out in the future. How low do rates have to fall before the builders go, yes, I'm interested, this makes sense, I'm going to take this risk to do more building? You know, if rates could head toward 4%, that's similar to what we happened in 2018 and 19. Uh, mortgage rates got to 5 they headed toward 4 And then historically, in the last decade, they break under 4% and the housing market stabilizes itself. So uh, similar, if that can happen, uh, then, you know, things should look better uh, uh, on the housing side. Of course, it's much different now with all the price inflation that we've dealt with. But, you know, uh, 6% was problematic for the housing market, you know, 5% stabilized things to a degree. But if you're talking about data getting really noticeable better, you got to head toward 4% and below there. Uh, and that'll be const, uh, consistent with what we saw back in 2013, 14 period of time. Then rates started to go lower and things uh, stabilized and got better. And the same thing in 2018 and 19, rates headed toward 4% and below and the housing market stabilized. So we're not there yet because we're still above 5%, but that's something to think about going out in the future. That's something that um, I think you can really feel in the mortgage industry right now. Not that we're not having layoffs, not that you know things aren't happening, but having the uh, rate stability, at least people can plan. If it's not going up and down like it was, you know, in that kind of historic uh, two days, a couple weeks ago, where it, it just went, it, it went up and down so much. I don't know how people were pricing. If you have some stability, I think people can adjust to that. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the things with the mortgage-backed security. The the Fed getting involved in that was to stabilize uh, 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 the process of, of of rate pricing, right? Uh, of course, we don't have that anymore. Uh, so you could see how violent mortgage rates can get, uh, especially when we saw rates head up, up past uh, uh, 6%. It was just the pricing was so bad. Uh, so you can't function. You can't have a normal market with, with rates going back and forth as that. So when things start to stabilize, uh, it, it's, a much, it's a better place to work from. But having rates go up half a percent down, half a percent up, and yeah, that's 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 chaos, right? And you you can't function normally in chaos. Okay, well, now it is time for the segment of this podcast where you are going to roll out a new catchphrase. So so everyone, it, people love your catchphrases. We had the forbearance crash bros. Before that, we had bubble boys. We had the housing bubble boys. We had the forbearance crash bros. Um, you had boring and balanced market, right? Um, and now tell us what it is that you are going to talk about. Now we're at the stage where the foreclosure fanatics are coming out. Uh, <laughs> uh, and um, it, it's very normal. 
And again, it's only one group of people. It's small, my anti-central bank friends. God bless them. I love them all, right? But uh, uh, a, a cult is a cult till the very end. And they will not give up because they generally believe the United States of America and planet Earth is a giant Ponzi scheme and that, you know, the life is not worth living after 1913. So you got to give it to these people. They're still alive after 100 years. Uh, the pain of living in, in on planet Earth after 1913 has been too much for them to bear. So naturally, when we start to see weakening economic data, they start to go on their foreclosures. So here it comes. Millions of people are going to uh, lose their jobs and 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 for homes are going to foreclose and again it's it's not the same kind of backdrop as we saw uh, in 2018 and so much of my work is trying to say that you know people were filing for foreclosures and bankruptcies before the recession even when unemployment rates were falling right that's a credit stress not the case now and I think you know one of the lines that we we hear recently is somebody's talk about foreclosures are up 700 percent you know that and it's just Fear. I mean, you have to you have to think about human beings that do this every day. Like, what are they like in the real world? They have to be just like miserable <laughs> people. I mean, every single day, and they're all anti-central bank people. There's this. There's. I mean, you know, some of the extreme left wing people are. They tend to cry all the time, but they're not crazy like these people. These people are literally doom and gloom, like warlock times right the the black plague like that all the time so you have to think about the the mental state of somebody that's like that on a daily basis that there is no sh sun shining there is no beautiful sky there is no walking in the park there's this constant doom and i think a lot of them are they weren't they weren't young guys to start off with and i think mortality comes to you when you're in your late 50s or 60s as a man, and then you start to see that the world is still living. People are buying homes, they're having sex, they're having kids, and the world isn't collapsing like you thought it would. So naturally, we have to create another term because guess what? Forbearance has totally collapsed. Uh, the last data was, I think, 0.74% total portfolio. Freddie and Fannie was like down to 0.34%. We talked about you know breaking under half a percent for Freddie and Fannie. And uh, yeah, we got to get a new nickname. And, you know, of course, when a job loss recession happens, you're going to get a foreclosure uh, increase. But it's nothing like what we saw in the past. And I think part of me feels bad for them that, you know, you live in this time in history, like, you know, two, three hundred years ago, things were a lot tougher. And I always say that if I could ever create a time machine for you guys, I will get you and all your families and we'll send you back to the 1800s. When there was no Federal Reserve and there was constant banking chaos <laughs> in every cycle, and you'd feel at more home there, right? Yeah, you, you'd feel better about yourself because there's this bad stuff happening a lot. And I think as soon as you start to see recessionary data, they go straight for the foreclosure, right? And uh, so it's fitting. We call them foreclosure fanatics, right? There was a housing bubble boys. There was a forbearance crash bros. We want the B&B housing market. There was a savagely unhealthy housing market. And foreclosure fanatics are is a perfect name for, to me, one of the biggest uh, economic cults of our lifetime. It absolutely is perfect. When you told me that, I was like, oh my gosh, that is it. So what is a normal or or average, you know, what's it in a balanced market? What would a, a typical foreclosure level be? And where are we right now? Well, you, usually there's 1% of homes always in foreclosure, and there's kind of a 4% delinquency rate uh, between 30 and 90 days. 
uh, again, the the difference between now and the past is there's so much equity uh, in housing now. And I think 90% of the homes that were in foreclosure had 25% uh, uh, equity per home. I mean, it's just insane. So it's it's such a different market that we have to go back to traditional housing risks, which is late cycle lending. Late cycle lending is people that buy a house uh, with a very low down payment, uh, might not have a lot of extra reserves. So if they lost their jobs in a recession right away, they don't have selling equity. Selling equity means that uh, you can't sell the house and be free and clear. You either have to foreclose or you short sale it. That that would be the traditional risk. Uh, uh, outside of that, I mean, it's it's you know forty percent of the homes don't even have a mortgage. You can't foreclose on a home that doesn't have a mortgage. You know the loan to values are under sixty percent in 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 in. So the all th- that is so much equity per household. Uh, uh, that it's just it's just a much different backdrop. And again, the biggest and most important thing is that uh, the loans that we have now after 2010 is just a fixed death products, right? You don't have any kind of major recasting risk uh, uh, out there. So and this is and we're talking about primary resident homeowners, right? Uh, investors and and how they uh, how they have short term debt, debt products. That's a different conversation. But when I talk about household balance sheets looking good, it's homeowners, people who have kids, families, they go to work. Uh, uh, they take their kids to the park. That That is the foundation of the United States of America. And a lot of bearish American citizens hate it. They don't want people to like have good lives. So the housing collapsing is, is so important to them that uh, that's why they promote so much fear. And that's why people like myself and a few others, we've decided to take on the trolls, right? You know, because if you're looking from the castle, you know, they roam around the forests and the villages, they could cause havoc. So you got to go in there and uh, uh, take care of business, right? So you could show people that you don't have to live in fear like these people do. I'm not sure anyone enjoys taking on trolls on the internet more than you do. You're all, you're actually always looking for someone to debate you live, to show their face, to have this conversation with you, um, you know, in a, in a format where they're not hiding behind an avatar or a fake name. And, and I don't know anyone who, le- who likes to do that more than you do. You know, we were raised differently. I think real men don't hide behind fake names, right? Men are, men are, men are brave, <laughs> right. right? And whatever you win or lose, that's your family's name. And that's kind of how we always look at it. But when you have legions of... Okay, wait, wait, wait. who's we? Who's we? No, just, I mean, I mean, when you talk about the, the history of, of mankind, all of us, right? Those who actually, you know, who are ready to play ball, we don't do it hiding, right? Or we don't promote fear and greed. Like some of these YouTubers are just almost psychotic. If I, if I actually believed them, which I don't believe them, I don't believe any of those people actually believe what they talk about. I think it's just, it's just a business model. But what I've always done on Twitter is let's play ball. And I literally do the Bill the Butcher gangs in New York where I come on <laughs> and pull out the two axes and let's let's have a fight. Because if I could get these people live on air, and that's the thing, get them live on camera, the the facial expressions they will have when I actually, you know, take my live debating skills. Because if you're not trained to talk about housing economics or don't know the data, there's a systematical way. You just have to get these people to talk more. And that, that's the strategy. And then you get to people get to say, wow, he really doesn't know what he's talking about, right? And then you just unleash the lords of hell on these people live. And then their faces start to like, you know, and that's what I want. 
Uh, and now, of course, I think some people have seen me do this before. So, so far, nobody wants to challenge me, but you have to, you have to call them out, right? And once you call them out, everyone's like, uh, no, nobody wants it. And then that's, hey, listen, we win, right? Because real men do not run away from a fight like that. And they don't want it. They don't. And, and again, a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it's, it's, it's fun and games, but a lot of these people don't believe what they're saying. It's just, it's just who they are and, and they, they promote the fear. And I think it's a business model, but uh, I'm, I'm always up for a fight. Right. So uh, I, I know you are. And I, I think one of the great things is the way that you do your economics. You're really teaching people like me who had no background in economics. I mean, I report on it, but I, that's not my training. That's not really what I know about. Um, to really fight the battle for you too, to also be somebody who goes, cause now when people put up charts, um, I was never a chart person. I, unlike you, Logan, I do not have tens of thousands of charts saved on my laptop somewhere in some drive that you can always find. But even I, you know, when people put up charts now, I'm really pay attention to the, the span of it. It's so crazy how you can manipulate charts uh, and if you really go to the source and look at what it is, it's just been, it's just been so, you know, they'll, they'll zoom in on something. So it looks like this huge drop when it's really, yeah. Not. And, you know, guys like me, we always say we're, we're pilgrims in an unholy land, right? We, we want to talk about the truth and teaching and the old basketball coach in me comes out where we teach fundamentals first before we get into the offense and defenses and, uh, plays and stuff like that. So teaching economics, because if I do my job right, people can finish my sentences for me because they know, right? And then they won't get tricked. And I think that that's really the whole purpose of it. Uh, you know, and 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 honestly, I think we 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 talked about this. I was gonna not write anymore after the America's back recovery model was done. I said, okay, I did my job, right? And then the whole forbearance crash bros people just like, I was like, you know, sh do I, do I let these trolling people just do their thing in 2021? And that's what actually kept me writing. I said, you know what? No, I'm going to blow these people up. The whole, the forbearance thing is going to be one of the biggest whiffs in the last hundred years in, in, in economics. So we gotta, we gotta teach people that they don't know what they're talking about. And, and even today, the foreclosure fanatics are the forbearance crash bros are the housing bubble boys. It's the same people always because some people wake up to darkness every day and other people wake up to the light, right? And that's why we believe in economic models, right? The whole America's back, you know, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel uh, uh, and economic cycles come and go. Uh, but the United States of America has so much advantages. We have the demographics. We have the kingdom. We are going to smoke the world again this century. And, uh, we're, we're up for the fight, right? Cycles come and go, but we're up for the fight. Love to hear that arousing uh, way to end our podcast and just go into the day. Thanks so much, Logan, as always. And what are you looking for uh, next? What, what Over the next couple of days, what's coming out or what, do you, what data are you going to be looking at? Well, tomorrow's the existing home sales uh, report and the new home sales report. You know, so we're going to see sharp declines in, in sales levels. Uh, well, like I've, I've always tried to stress this on my weekly purchase application uh, tweet thread that whenever rates rise, typically existing home sales actually go back below 5 million. We should get that in the next report. And then trying to keep an eye on inventory channels and, and what's going. And then, you know, the second half of the year, you know, now that rates stabilize and new listings are falling, just kind of keep an eye on where, where the housing market is going in that sense. Um, 
because, you know, for me, you know, team balance, we want total inventory levels to get back to 1.93 million to 1.52 million. But obviously, that's not going to happen this year. So this keeping an eye on that stuff and starting to get ready for 2023, um, because it is almost September, right? And the another year that the 20 and 30 percent home price crash has not happened. We're going into year 11 now. Uh, uh, and we just have to be mindful of the future uh, where inventory levels are going, where, where demand is going, and uh, where the economic cycle is. One day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time. We are here 24-7 live, uh, and we do not sleep, of course. Uh, <laughs> like economics doesn't sleep. Some Sometimes literally, like this morning when you had to get up for that CNBC interview, I'm sure, which on the West Coast was really early. But Logan, thank you so much, as always. A pleasure. And we're happy to um, get your insights. Sarah Wheeler, it's a pleasure. And uh, I think we are going to Boston in September to uh, for the Mortgage Banking Association uh, event there. Massachusetts, yeah, the Massachusetts. Uh, Mortgage Banking Association, the New England one. Yeah, yeah and, uh, super excited. You're going to speak there yeah. as a... Um, as, keynote, as a keynote speaker, and we will bring our charts with us for that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then you will be at Housing Wire Annual, which is our amazing event in Scottsdale, October 3rd through 5th, um, along with some other luminaries, many other luminaries. So we appreciate you, and thank you so much for bringing your insight today. Pleasure as always. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW Plus, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.